next on World Radio Gardening, an interview with a wildlife cameraman. Hello, I'm Oliver Rogers, and today I'm talking to wildlife cameraman Russell Savory, who's worked for the BBC, Channel 4 and Channel 5. He's created many wonderful films, filming all sorts of different wildlife throughout the years, and most famously, he created a wonderful film about small owls. Today, I'm talking to him about how he got started in wildlife photography. I've been interested in uh, wildlife as such since I was a kid, you know, age of five or six, really. Um, then I got into bird watching and then used to do a bit of photography and things, and that was in the old days of film. And then um, started to, you know, expand that digital, come out, started to do a little bit of owl photography. At the time was it 10 or 10 years ago, I suppose, I had um, the BBC come along to have a look and to do a film called, the, well, in actual fact, Four One Hours, which was called the, um, the Great British Year. And I got them to, you know, various sites and we had all five species of owl on the site. So they managed to um, do some lovely film on that. But that's, no, I think that, that goes around the, goes around the circle. It comes out every, every year or so. They put on another repeat on. It's a fabulous little film. And about three of the, three of the four hours are pretty much on, on, you know, a lot of it is on the content uh, of the owls. So that's where it all started, really. And you make an important point there. A lot of these animals are protected species and there are rules and regulations around it. So you have to be careful about just, you can't really just go along and just film them. No, it, it's really, the animal, whatever, whatever your subject is, comes first. Really, if you're doing birds, it's quite simple. You go to the BTO, um, if you speak to them and say what you want to do. Um, you know, things like kingfishers, you know, kites, and, and there are many, many birds on the, you know, on, on the schedule list. And, and before you even attempt to do anything, really, you know, that's your first port call to make sure, one, you can do it. And I try to... If I'm filming, maybe sometimes you know I can be sitting in a chair, you know, a little chair hide for up to 14 hours in one stint. But you know, if, if there's a bit behaviour or an owl or whatever it is, a bird that's sort of in the tree, I like to leave the site exactly as they were, undisturbed and everything else. And it's it, it's a little bit of field craft to get them on your side, if you like, and, and they understand it, and you can just. You know, melt away into the distance and the birds carry on and you want it like that to get the natural behaviour of the whatever that subject is whether it's hares or, or, or stoats or weasels or whatever it is so if someone's listening to this a young person and they want to get into wildlife photography and lockdown's been a great time to try out some of that kind of photography skill how would you recommend they sort of go about doing it? it are, are domesticated animals perhaps a good thing to start with? Yeah, I mean, you you can start in your garden. I mean, basically, it's, it's, it's really you just get some bird feeders and that sort of thing, get the birds in, but <clears throat> what you're after. Sometimes it's quite nice to get some images really on the feeders, but if you want something a little bit different, you know, just set up a nice little twiggy bit or whatever it is near the, near the uh, feeders, so the birds land on that first and then go off to the feeders, but at least you'll get a sort of a, a bit of a natural um, surrounding with that. You can try all your various, um, you know, different ways of photography. We can do some high-speed stuff if you've got nice, nice bit of light so you can get them, you know, in flight going uh, into the feeders. And also with uh, bird feeders, you know, you get things like stylings or you get goldfinches and those sort of things. You get these massive clashes because they all just want food. Um, so you can get these, you know, quite 
fantastic in-flight shots, you know, two of them claws out, as it were, um, you know, having a bit of a bit of a go at one another. So they can make for some quite uh, exciting images you know, just within your garden. Some top tips on how to interest young people in getting involved in wildlife photography and how you can use your own garden there from Russell Savory, who's a leading wildlife cameraman who's made films for the BBC and also for Channel 4 and Channel 5. We've got more coming up from Russell in just a moment, including beavers, so stay tuned for that. I'm talking to Russell Savory. He's a wildlife cameraman and he does do guided walks. You can find out more on his website. And he was telling me about how they're beneficial. The Essex Wildlife Trust that I work fairly closely with, they do some fantastic walks and introductions to that. And then indeed, you know, I would normally go out and do you know, several of those per year for them. But obviously with the lockdown, things have, um, things have changed and hopefully we can get back to that. But it's a great way to get, you know, the kids out, to get them outside, to understand what it's about and understand our, our planet and, 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 you know, how the wildlife works. It, it's, if you, you know, the, the children basically are the, the future for our, for our planet. They're the ones that are going to have to sort out the mess that we're in. So we just need to get them out there. And, and there's, there's many people to talk about, you know, kids, you know, don't have the interest in this, that and the other. But... All you're going to do is get them outside. I mean, one of the things I, I do to get kids interested, you get a you know, 10 square metre bit of rough grass or dorsey bush or whatever it is, and get a net and run it through it, and then you have little jars, and you have to do a mini beastie hunt. And for the youngsters, I mean, you know, the real youngsters, the, the five, sixes and sevens and things, when they start seeing all the shield beetles and, and the crickets and all the other bits and pieces, what's literally just in this little spot of grass... I mean, it's fantastic. All of a sudden, you know, it'll pop up and want to know about it. And that's where some of your films come in, isn't it? For the one show and for Spring Watch, Autumn Watch and Channel 4 and Channel 5. I, I remember a particular film about ha an owl taking a selfie. How did you kind of get that? You know, did, did they come up with the suggestion of that topic? Or, or or did you think an owl could be taught to do that? Or how? what was the thought behind that? Well, it, it's, I've done a few little bits with Mike Dilger, of presented to him, which I work with him quite a bit now. I, I just happened to say to him, he, he it started off, he wanted a, um, I was doing a lot with water bowls, and I, I, in fact, I, I started at the top of the ditch, ended up in the bottom of the ditch in a, in a dry suit, and I used to spend many, many, many hours down the bottom of this ditch, 
and eventually these water bowls come sit on my knee. So they got used to the fact that I was there, and I didn't think that they just went about their, their daily business, but it was, it was um, you know, quite interesting. I managed to get all the water level shots and all that sort of thing. And then I was doing my owls, and then I happened to mention to Mike, I said, I reckon, because um, these owls are you know, coming very, very close to me, I said, I reckon I could probably get an owl with a little bit of, because of my engineering background on, on you know, in the motorsport side, I reckon I can build a little rig that we could actually get an owl to take a picture of an owl. I said, it, it may take a while, but it's just a matter. If we get the trigger behind the camera, and then the, the owl can come in, and, um, and what we need is an owl in the front. Um, and it took, I think, I, I did some relatively quick within about an hour and a half to two hours. Um, but typically, as you've got to see there, it took us three and a half hours before one came down. With little owls, they are incredibly inquisitive because if you just put something down on the ground, I mean, I was fairly, fairly near their nest site, but if you put a camera down on the ground, the youngsters just come down and look at it. <laughs> and it's just, you know, they just want to have a look to see what it is. Um, and it was just a matter of having some owls in the front of it and the one landing behind and walking on a little, uh, uh, little trigger, which was in actual fact made out of a computer keyboard. It was just a, a, literally a computer keyboard and spring. Uh, I was having to stand on that, and at that time we had, I think, two hours in the front. <laughs> wow! And, uh, that was it, and then we cracked it. <laughs> Superb, isn't it? That's but that kind of fun, that sense of fun, I think, comes across in your films, and it's so important to engaging children and young people, isn't it, in wildlife and the nature? It is indeed, and as, as I sort of touched on, really, I, I like my, um, you know, my gadgets, if you like. So I, I've, you know, been taking a load, certainly, in doing all my. Um, my water bowls and then the owls to work out how we can film them. I've got a, um, interesting, I've now got a, a pneumatic pole that goes to a height of about 60 feet. So I put a camera on top of that and go up in the middle of a rookery. And then you, you pump the pole up and it goes up. And then I have a pan and tilt which I operate for a mobile phone because you've got now mobile phones can do all this trickery if you like. Um, so that comes down. So I view what I'm seeing, what the camera's seeing from the top of the mobile phone. And I've got a little pan and tilt that I operate off an iPad and pan and tilt the uh, camera. And um, to see what happens inside a rookery is incredible because they start you know, one of our earliest uh, nesting birds, I suppose, along with tawny um, owls and such. You know, the, the, the rooks start out, you know, they start out in February, start building their nests. But what it is, it ends up absolute mayhem. Because, well, when they start building the nest, so when one goes off to go and get some more bits and bobs and twigs and everything else for this nest, all the others come in and nickel all the nest materials. And then that way, all the other ones go off, and it's just all this bickering and fighting and everything else. They eventually get it sorted out, because obviously, you know, that's how the rookeries survive. You know, they, they, they build a rookery, and it's all successful, but it makes for an interesting, you know, an interesting insight in what you're doing. And... The water valves, when I do those, I like to get the camera um, literally mounted at water level. And again, I can use the pan and tilt um, on the camera, turn it around, but get the you know the um, you know the, the water valves right as they come out of the out of the burrows. And indeed, sometimes they they climb up um, on top of the cameras. And one of the other little gadgets you use, a little um, little uh, small cameras. Um, that you can pull on sticks and just run them. Um, and they run for about two and a half hours. But when you're filming at winter time, one of the things I didn't sort of uh, expect 
was the water bowls come out and sit on top of the cameras because they're generating heat. <laughs> so all you do is, you know, they, they last for so long and then you end up with a, a water bowl going over the right over the back of your lens because they're, they're sitting on top of the cameras to get the warmth off them. Well, I've been talking to Russell Savory, wildlife cameraman who films stuff for the BBC amongst other broadcasters, and he's involved with a project at Spain's Hall where beavers have been released into an enclosure. I first got involved with uh, Spain's Hall Estate really by doing a talk some nearly five years ago, I guess it was, probably that, um, to the CLA, the Country's Landowners Association. And I was doing uh, a little talk for the eastern region. I was trying to get over to farmers, you know, they can do the five and ten metre strips up the side of their fields and things and put wildflowers in them and that sort of thing for encouraging the insects and, and everything else. And after that um, talk, um, Archie Ruggles-Bridge came along to, um, to see me and really, and he said, you know, he was interested in getting beavers onto onto his estate so i was full of excitement because you know it's been you know the last um, number of years going back and forth to scotland sort of an eight or nine hour drive up to scotland to film the beavers in uh, tayside and thinking the possibility that we could have beavers in uh, in essex fantastic archie said well i'd like to get involved and that sort of thing and needed uh, images for um you know one to cover the project right at the beginning so i was keen on that so before any um you know anything was done on the site so we had the scientists down there doing all that so all the you know, video and all of that was recorded and then they obviously did the uh, fence for the nine acre enclosure as well so all of that was covered and from then on really um you know when we had the day when the beavers come in which was fantastic you know when they, the beavers first arrived i mean they, they arrived from uh, overnight if you like from devon so in these two big uh, crates they came down in, and so they rested the night in one of Archie's barns, and it was a matter of taking them down to the enclosure to release them. And, and I think maybe there was a little bit of doubt in people's minds, because at that time we had so little water coming through the, the woodland, and it was hoped that maybe the beavers it would make use of what there is, and it would all, it would all work out. And, um, you know, they opened up the, the crate, and the beavers fell out because they were still asleep. And then they tunneled off, and we'd, we'd managed to dig a little pool, which was the only pool of water they had in the, in, in the woodland there, because obviously there's their safety 
brought straight into the water. That's where they feel safe. So sure enough, they went into that and we left them to it. First night, they built a burrow and I managed to find a little burrow where they where they made this little uh, little, little little house, as it were, really into that. And then it's just gone from strength to strength and strength. Really, it's just truly amazing. I mean. They started to dam, and then, you know, once it dammed up, they needed another dam and another dam and another dam. We were lucky enough to get a reasonable bit of rain soon after they arrived. And they were building building a reasonable-sized dam per week. And, um, you know, I've managed to follow that. It's been fantastic to be that close, you know, because I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time down there. Um, be it you know you know early mornings, but you know many times I, I do the go into the night. So in the afternoon, I film the afternoon into the evening, then I change onto IR um, photography and film, and all the behaviours of them walking around on their hind legs, you know, putting the mud into the carrying the mud to put into the dam. They collect not only a lot of um, you know not always taking down live trees as it were. They collect a lot of you know wood from the wooden floor. So any old sticks or branches that are falling down, they pick those up, they stick those in the dam. And they're just absolutely, for at least 12 hours a day, they are non-stop, non-stop building. <laughs> and they're in a nine-acre enclosure on the Spain Hall Estate just near Finching Field. And certainly what you showed me and what Archie, the landowner, showed me were a number of different dams. And you said there was just a very small stream and one pool, but you can now see that a large... That that whole wood now is 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 sort of flooded with water, isn't it? Because it's holding water back from the main sort of stream that goes down into Finchingfield Village. Yes, it, it's holding quite a lot of water back. But what you, you must remember, what it has got is water going down the little stream all the time. Whereas what before the beavers were in, there was during the summer months there was nothing going down. So effectively, they hold the you know, they hold the 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 the, the high water. It's it, it, it's just that 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 high water mark, as it were, as you, as you get a downpour, it goes down these little streams, also in the little ditches, and comes into Finchingfield. So if you can hold the peak back for about an hour and a half to two hours, which now the beavers successfully do, um, you can stop the village getting flooded. So what we now have is you know a little trickle coming out, and that just keeps feeding the the, uh, the pond down the bottom. But, um, you know, we have effectively, I suppose, you know, you've got some lovely ponds and, and these canals, what they're, they're digging, they're digging these little canals and putting, um, you know, they use it for when they go and collect their um, wood scraps, if you like, from around the woodland and they're bigger chunks and it's amazing the size of some of them. They pick them up, dump them in the canal and float them along to bring them to the dam or wherever else they um, want to uh, position them. But we, what we're now finding almost one section of it is turning into like a fenlands. That's incredible. And why do you love the beavers so much? Why do you like going to watch them? Because you must have a real passion for it. Um, yeah, I've put a few hours in on now, I suppose. Um, I suppose... <laughs> I've been doing water bowls for many years, and beavers are like a bigger water bowl. <laughs> but it, it's really, because you spend so much time, you, you see something new every day. That's the thing with them. It's, you know, there's always something something happening. And when I first saw them, you know, get their, um, you know, collect up the mouths and walk on their hind legs, and then go up to the, the, um, the lodge and pat it on there, then go get sticks and pat the sticks on the top, and 
seeing that, then the, the interaction between the male and female, how they groom one another. I'm, I'm literally, I'm sitting in hiding, pitch darkness, and they're probably no more than seven feet away from me, um, filming with IR, which they can't see, nor can I. It's only the camera that sees that, so I'm filming via a monitor. Um, it, it's really, you get into the life of the beaver and, and watching them, uh, sort of when they get a little stick and they just nibble all the bark off it, bark off it, and they just go through their, through their mouth and they snap it in the middle and they just so they've got two halves of it. One half goes up one side of the mouth and the other half goes up the other side, and they just they're just like little electric motors and they go and the whole thing is just fantastic. Russell Savory there, wildlife cameraman. You can find his footage and photos online at his Twitter feed. Just search for Russell Savory or visit russellsavory.com. 